Okay, stand by. Broadcasting from the Cruise Radio Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, I'm Matt Bassford. And I'm Doug Parker. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, cruiseradio.net. On this show, we'll talk to listener Jason Coleman about his recent cruise aboard the Emerald Princess. Before we get to Stuart Shearer on the Cruise Guy, oh, we got a new site. If you've ever been to our old site, you may have realized it was a complete mess. But right now, the site has been redesigned. We have cruise news up there. Very easy to navigate. Watch our videos, listen to our shows, read our cruise news. All right there at cruiseradio.net. We also have a comprehensive photo tour of the brand new Carnival Breeze that's due out next June. It's all on our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com slash cruise radio. All right, Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy, is with us. Hello, Stuart. Hey, Matt. Hey, Doug. Hey, man. Breaking news here. Another cruise line is canceling 2012 Mediterranean sailings. Yes, uh, Oceana is the latest. Uh, They're going to be canceling nine fall uh, Mediterranean sailings on regatta and replacing them with uh, some Canada-New England sailings. Are all these cancellations a result of the weakness in the region? Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Royal Caribbean you know, canceled uh, Navigator of the Seas being in the Mediterranean year-round, and they're going to be bringing it back to the Caribbean for the uh, winter-spring season. And, uh, I mean, there is a weakness, and you know, maybe there's going to be some uh, better opportunities. I mean, Canada-New England uh, is doing very well. Uh, Oceana is very excited about the, uh, the opportunity to have uh, you know, a ship, uh, you know, sailing, you know, in the region. And uh, I would not be surprised if other cruise lines uh, decide to redeploy some of their uh, ships maybe back to, uh, you know, the U.S. ports either uh, sooner rather than later or altogether at least uh, for 2012. Costa announced uh, pulling out of the Med on a couple of ports this year, uh, next season too, right? Yes, uh, Costa has canceled essentially all of the 2012 stops at Egypt and uh, Tunisia, uh, just uh, you know, just simply you know, out of, out of precaution. And uh, it's interesting at this point, only one cruise line, you know, uh, Princess, uh, recently announced that uh, they actually began uh, revisiting uh, uh, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, on their May 2011 sailings. But uh, you know, we're still kind of on a waiting pattern to see if the other cruise lines. Uh, decide to bring their ships back, but you know at this point, I mean, you're dealing with a very tenuous situation. Um, you know, there is there are there is no government uh, in place, and you know, bringing in uh, their ships and passengers, it may not be the the best time to do it. NCL recently announced they're going green. Is this the same kind of thing as Royal Caribbean's Save the Waves program? It's it's actually different, Matt. Um, it's you know they're. Uh, it, what's very interesting with what they're doing is they're trying to allow passengers to quote offset, uh, you know, their their carbon footprint. Um, you know, simply, you know, if you want to, you know, uh, go with the uh, the Al Gore, uh, you know, s- scenarios, and you know, the airlines have tried this. British Airways allows you the opportunity to offset your carbon footprint. In this case, you know, NCL is trying to. You know, come up with uh, you know new ways to uh, engage the passengers so they can make a difference, and they're going to offer them the chance to donate ten dollars per person to fund renewable energy facilities uh, to offset their carbon footprint. Now, uh, what's very interesting is that you know our power companies like Florida Power and Light uh, down in South Florida, for example, that tried offering renewable energy options to its customers, but it turned out that uh, one the program was canceled. Because seventy-five percent of the eleven point five million dollars that they collected went to marketing and administration, uh, NCL says that a hundred percent of their uh, of the money is supposed to go toward 
uh, renewable energy. You know, who knows? It's you know, kind of one of those uh, shot in the darks. Um, you know, look, I, I applaud their efforts. Yeah. Carnival Corp financing a $65 million terminal over in the Dominican Republic. Where is this terminal going to be, and uh, how long is this going to take? Well, it's, you know, I, I'd say it, you know, let, let's say it may somewhat resemble what they did in Grand Turk. Uh, they're going to build uh, this docking facility um, that could be used by, you know, the various Carnival Corp uh, ships. Um, you know, it doesn't really say how many uh, ships it can handle. Uh, realistically, it may just be two. But it's going to be located in Maimon Bay, which is uh, just west of Puerto Plata on the uh, north northern coast of Dominican Republic. So essentially it's on the Atlantic Ocean side, and uh, it's expected to be uh, completed by the fall of uh, 2013. So it's just another, another it'll just be another port for uh, Carnival to be able to offer its passengers, you know, somewhat similar to maybe what uh, Royal Caribbean's do, did in, in Falmouth. And uh, Honduras, another port popping up over there, too? Why? Well, th- th- that's, that's a great question. And uh, there, there's a company that is actually building a two-ship um, pier um, in Trujillo, uh, Honduras, with absolutely no cruise line support. And uh, this port, um, which they're going to be calling, quote, Banana Coast, because I guess that's easier to remember than Trujillo, um, which is supposed to open in 2012, um, you know, but it's, you know, I, I think this sounds more like a, another Costa Maya, um, you know, than a, uh, you know, a, a regular, you know, cruise port, which actually has a, a thriving city. Um, but, you know, they have no cruise line support. It's, it's very close to Roatan. Uh, so, you know, it'll be very interesting. I, I, you know, personally, I don't think uh, there's going to be a whole lot of interest. Uh, Honduras, I'm sure, is a very nice country, but I don't, I don't really see it as a, um, you know, on anyone's top 20 list. Now, if we could just get that port built in Brownsville, Texas, we'd be okay. <laughs> hey, don't get me started on that one. If he doesn't always know what he's talking about, he's good at pretending that he does. <laughs> Stuart, you're on the cruise guy. Thanks, man. You bet, guys. Take it easy. Have you been dreaming lately about a romantic tropical cruise to the Caribbean? Cruise one. Or how about a breathtaking scenic cruise to Alaska? Cruise one. Or how about the Mexican Riviera? Or Cancun? Hazen? Or New England? Or Canada? Or Italy? Or Greece? Or the Far East? Or how about a cruise around the whole world? Cruise one. Got a dream vacation for you. Cruise one. Let us send you on your way. Cruise one. Number one in cruising nationwide. Cruise One has more than 550 cruise specialists nationwide ready to help you plan your dream cruise. And speaking with a local Cruise One expert is as easy as calling toll-free 1-800-CRUISE and the number one. That's 1-800-CRUISE-1 or find us online at cruiseone.com. Number one in cruising Each episode, we give you Porthole Cruise Magazine's Pick of the Week. If you're cruising from San Diego this Labor Day weekend, which, by the way, is September 2nd through the 5th, you're in for a true maritime treat. The annual Festival of Sail is a great waterfront festival held on San Diego Bay that kicks off with a parade of tall ships from around the world that sail around San Diego Bay, past Harbor Island, Shelter Island, Seaport Village, and the Coronado Bridge, and then end up at the docks of the Maritime Museum. This four-day event includes live entertainment, a petting zoo, cruises on San Diego Bay, more than 150 arts and crafts and food vendors, and even some good old cannon battles and pirate interaction. 
This year's participating ships include Amazing Grace, American Pride, USS Dolphin, the B-39 Russian submarines, and more than a dozen of other classic tall ships. I thought the B-39s broke up years ago. That was the B-52s. Oh, right, okay. For more info or to buy tickets, go to sdmaritime.org slash festival dash of dash sale. While doing some late night surfing, Doug came across this article, staying in touch while on vacation and not going bankrupt, from sea-based travel consultant Chuck Flagg, who is our guest right now. Welcome to Cruise Radio, Chuck. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to have you with us here. And this is a very important email. Doug is all too familiar with this. Yeah, my first iPhone cruise I took, my iPhone bill was over $500. <laughs> so this, is, this hits uh, home to me big time. Well, there's, I, I don't know if you know Adam Savage, one of the Mythbusters. Oh, yeah, sure. He was surfing in Canada and had an $11,000 <laughs> surfing bill on his iPhone. Well, you've got some good advice on this. For, for example, the first one here, turn off push email. Well, there's two reasons I wrote that. One, you're on vacation. Yeah. What can you do? Are you going to go back and fix something? But more importantly, when you've got push email on, you are international roaming, and you're going to get charged for every kilobyte that comes into your phone. And speaking from experience, might I add that if you shut your phone down or do a hard reboot on your iPhone, for example, you might want to just go to your settings and double-check to make sure that is that it is still off. Correct. Be- you be- want to make sure those push notifications are off. Because when you do a reboot or, or turn your phone on and off, uh, it may kind of go back to a default setting or something you had before the reboot. Right. I, I, I think a lot of people, the best advice is put your phone in airplane mode. You want to turn yeah. all location-based services off. Yeah. Even you Angry Birds players, you need to, you need to be in an airplane mode. <laughs> nice. Chuck, the next one you have here is uh, Sailor at Sea. If you've absolutely got to make a phone call, There's one company that operates on all the ships. The name of it is MTN, but it's called Cellular at Sea. The rates cost about $2.99 a minute, and that happens as soon as you leave port, and you're going basically through satellite. Uh, Now, here's an option. You could buy an unlocked quad-band cell phone on eBay. Yes. Americans are, we're in the dark ages when it comes to cellular talking. In every other country in the world, you buy a phone and you buy a package separately you don't get a 199 iphone you pay the going rate and then you buy a sim card if you're say you're going to be in italy you will buy this quad band phone buy a sim card at any at any store at any gas station plug it into your phone and you can make calls back to america for cents a minute and you can do texting and email for cents a minute on this prepaid sim card Someone calling you is going to be calling an Italian number, but it's much easier for you to do email, and you can call back huh. much cheaper. When your, when your SIM card runs out, you buy a new one. You go to another country, you buy another SIM card. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, the next one you have here is consider a magic jack. Instead of paying that two ninety nine minute, I don't know anybody who doesn't travel without a laptop these days. Now, you know, Internet at sea is pretty slow. And it's pretty expensive. It's about 75 cents a minute unless you buy a package, taking it down to about 50 cents a minute. But did you know that you could plug in a Magic Jack into your laptop, get a princess-style phone, plug that in, and make a call just like your next door? Wow. And it's a local call anywhere to the U.S. The only thing you're doing is paying for per-minute Internet time. Now, what about Skype? Is that an option? Skype isn't really an option on ships. It uses up so much bandwidth. 
but that most ships block those ports that Skype uses. Oh, I did not know you that. You could use it in an internet cafe, fine. And you could do Magic Jack in an internet cafe, but Skype, more people are reporting that they do not get Skype to work on a ship because those ports are blocked. Very good. Well, this is all very sound advice. Sea-based travel consultant Chuck Flagg, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. And thank you for having me, guys. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear more, go to cruiseradio.net and click on Radio Channel. Or go to iTunes and search Cruise Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Cruise Radio. Listener Jason Coleman is here. Welcome to Cruise Radio, Jason. Hey, thanks, guys. What cruise did you recently take aboard the Emerald Princess? An 11-night itinerary of Northern Europe and the Baltic. Tell us about embarkation and uh, the whole, you know, getting to the port process. Was that easy and efficient? Very easy. Getting the ship uh, was about a 15-minute taxi ride from central Copenhagen, where I was staying for a couple of nights before the cruise. And um, I got there a couple of hours after boarding started, so the whole process took only about 15 minutes to get checked in and board the ship. That's one thing that I like to share with my clients is let the lines die down, get there a couple hours after, and you'll breeze right on. What were your first impressions of the ship? Was this uh, actually your first princess sailing? Oh, gosh, no. I've probably been on um, probably at least a dozen princess cruises before. But this was my first time on uh, Emerald and my first time to the Baltic. One of the things that I really like about princess ships uh, is that they're really comfortable and familiar. And all of their big ships are designed very similarly with the same basic layout and flow from deck to deck. The ship was very well maintained. It has all of the new princess amenities and features like movies under the stars and the new piazza atriums with street entertainers and the wine bar and the international cafe so it was a great experience a great welcoming on board when you're sailing over there in the baltic what is the demographic like it was different than i imagined because all my other previous princess cruises has been very family oriented and this one was too but it was very diverse I heard a lot of different languages spoken. Announcements were done in a couple of languages as well. But this was July, and it's one of those months when a lot of Europeans go on holiday. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a slightly older crowd than I was expecting, uh, which probably isn't too uncommon on an 11-night itinerary of this sort, you know, being a little different than a cheap seven-day Caribbean cruise, so it attracts a different crowd. There were quite a few families on board, but not too many with little kids. It seemed to be that they were mostly like young high school age and up. Were there a lot of larger, older, hairy Eastern European men in Speedos? (laughs) Just got to know. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank goodness. Yes. Okay. Um, Give us a little idea of the public areas. Well, one of the things about those princess ships is that they're not really designed with big, splashy public areas or venues like you might see on other mass market or premium cruise lines. Um, A a tagline that they were using a couple years ago quite heavily in their marketing is big ship choice and small ship feel. And what that really means to me is that you don't really get overwhelmed in large spaces. So, for example, the restaurants are all single level and not giant three-deck tall dining rooms. Hmm. Um, The atrium is only three decks tall and has a much more homely feel than some of the other larger ones out there. On my cruise, uh, it was interesting, the Internet Lounge seemed to be be full about 90% of the time with a long line of people waiting to get on the computer, and I haven't seen that on very many cruises. Emerald Princess, like some of uh, the other princess ships, has the sanctuary, 
which is a newer area. It's an adult-only relaxation area. But on our itinerary, it seemed to be empty most of the time, and just my guess, but probably because few people want to have to pay to sit out on deck. But very homely feeling, very comfortable uh, in all of the pelvic areas. What kind of cabin did you have? I travel in a mini suite. Nice. Um, and on this ship, that was about 325 square feet, including the veranda. Um, so it was nice and comfortable. The thing that I like about um, Princess's mini suites is that they have larger bathrooms to accommodate a small tub instead of, you know, the standard stall showers. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a sitting area that has a full-size sofa. And one of the unique things about uh, the Princess mini suites is that they also include two flat-screen TVs, so nice. one for the bed area and one for the sofa and the sitting area. Cool. So you and your travel companion can both watch TV and different programs at the same time. But it's interesting. The challenge that you'll have is to see if both people can hear their TVs. Well, I was just going to ask you, are there are there wireless headsets? There were not. Ah. And um, one of the other things that they don't have, which... Because I cruise often enough, I have the, um, the little tools to make it happen. Where There's no DVD players. There's not even kind of hookups for any of that kind of stuff, too. So you have to bring your own to and kind of jerry-rig it to make it work as well. Jason, do I need to write a strongly worded letter to Princess to make all this happen? <laughs> <laughs> I already <I'll> have. <laughs> I sent a few. All right, good. What about the uh, food? How's the food on the, on the ship? Um, it was good. I, uh, dining is one of the things that I like about Princess because I always pick any time dining so that I can eat whatever time I want and I don't have to share a table with anyone else. So overall, I'd rate the food as gear very good. Um, one like- thing I noticed because I cruise with Princess a lot is that they repeat many of their menus mm-hmm. from ship to ship, which on the one hand I would expect, but if it's a dull menu, then it's a bit disappointing. Um, and that's where I think the Crown Grill comes to the rescue. Um, that's the signature steakhouse that is a specialty on alternative on most princess ships. And there is a $25 cover charge per person for dinner, but it's well worth it. And I ate there twice on my cruise. In the, um, in the main dining room, Jason, was it, since it was a European cruise, did the food have like a European flair to it? No, it, it was the traditional, you know, one steak, one chicken, one fish. Mm. They do have something new on the menus that I hadn't seen before, which was they called it like a comfort food item or something. So it's something that you might see back home. I think one night it was like shepherd's pie, and another night it was like meatloaf with mashed potatoes. Yeah, Carnival's doing that too with uh, fried chicken and stuff on Carnival Cruise Lines. What I found was interesting, though, was their definition of what comfort food was. (laughs) Because they took the standard, you know, for example, shepherd's pie definition, but they, the, it was completely different. And I was like, I I wouldn't recognize this back home. Tell us a little bit about the entertainment. Like most cruises, they have the typical you know, range of cruise entertainment. There were four production shows with the ship singers and dancers, one night for comedy, one night was a classical musician, um, one night was a magician who used video as part of his act to do close-up illusions, which I thought was really yeah, unique. That's cool. um, and then on the night that we overnighted in St. Petersburg, they brought on a local dance and music troupe to provide local entertainment. So overall, I'd say the options were pretty typical of cruise ship entertainment. Uh, what about any excursions? Well, on an itinerary like this one, I think the real highlight is the Ports of Call. Um, oh. And, of course, we had some real winners like Stockholm and Copenhagen and um, St. Petersburg. Um, 
I'm kind of old school and choose to book all my shore excursions through the cruise line. Um, so for the most part, in cities I haven't been to before, I usually pick the basic tour that includes a good overview of the highlights. Um, but two of the ones that I really liked and kind of splurged on were when we were in Germany and Russia. Uh, in Germany, I took the train from the port in Wunermundi to Berlin, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour to three-hour train ride each way. Unfortunately, it rained most of the day we were in Berlin, so it wasn't the most comfortable outing, but I was still able to see you know, the highlights like Checkpoint Charlie, the Berlin Wall, and the Brandenburg Gate. And um, then when we were in St. Petersburg, it, it did rain for a good portion of that day as well, but the highlights there were like Catherine's Palace and um, the Church of the Savior on Spilled Blood. So overall, I was really happy with the shore excursions. Very good. Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us. Thanks, guys. All right, that's going to do it. Coming up next week, more Cruise News with Stuart Sheeran, The Cruise Guy. We love the Stitcher Radio Network, a very cool app. You can take Cruise Radio on the go with you wherever you go. Just search Stitcher Radio in your smartphone store. And it's free. Mm-hmm. Best of all. Now, if you want to stay abreast of all the latest cruise news, please sign up for instant email updates. Go to cruiseradio.net and simply enter your email address right under where it says instant email updates. From the Cruise Radio studios in Jacksonville, Florida, I'm Matt Basford. And I'm Doug Parker. And this is Cruise Radio. Thanks for listening to Cruise Radio. For information on how your company can reach over 100,000 travel enthusiasts a week, email sales at cruiseradio.net. Find Cruise Radio on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Just search Cruise Radio. I'm your announcer.